Welcome to Myth versus Craft. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to episode 16 of Myth vs. Craft. My guest today is the multi-talented musician Henrik Freislauter. I came across his music a few years ago on YouTube, and I've been a fan ever since. He's a phenomenal guitarist who writes and sings great songs. He also runs a boutique record label called Cable Car Records, which has a small roster of cherry-picked artists. As much as I enjoy his music, after we spoke I came away even more impressed with his positive attitude, his approach to making music, and his deep commitment to the artists on his label and the people with whom he works. Henrik recently formed a new trio, and their debut album, called Openness, is coming out April 1st. I highly encourage you to check it out. Let's start by listening to a few snippets from the album. You say you got a little lonely When I'm out on the road When I'm home for 12 weeks in a row Girl, you ain't never home Ain't that cheeky, baby what in the world makes you wear this crown? Baby, you're high expectations Standing on the shaky ground Gonna bend that pretty damn good even convince the whole neighborhood We got a plan and we got the skills And an old twenty dollar bill Working for the man with the master plan Working for the man with the master plan Working every day with my own Henrik, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I know you are super busy, especially with your new album coming out. So I am very grateful that you are taking the time to take this call. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Totally. 
I'm sorry for letting you wait so long. But <laughs> it's all happening at the same time these days. Oh, I know, I know. I heard that your father played the drums. What kind of music did he play? Oh, he actually played in an oldie band, and they played uh, mostly songs of the Beatles and Hollies and CCR and stuff like this. I believe you started playing the drums at age four. Did you start out just playing your father's drum kit at home? That's true. That's exactly how it was. What drove you to pick up other instruments, which I know at the very least include the guitar and bass, but I believe you also play a piano as well? Yeah, just a little bit. I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm a good piano player. I have to, I have to mark the, the keys to play the right chord. So that's actually what it is. So I'm not actually a good piano player. But um, what made me pick up other instruments was just that they were there and somehow I, I gained my interest to try them out. So your father played other instruments as well or were they these instruments from his bandmates? No, not really. They, uh, my father had a little store in Cologne oh. and he bought instruments and stuff. And so there, were, there was always like kind of music in the house and instruments as well. And every weekend he brought new instruments and I could try them out. So it was kind of heaven on earth for a little child like me. Pretty much interested in music and everything that was connected to music. I believe you started playing drums when you were four. I have a daughter who is three and a half years old and I can't imagine her beginning to play the drums. How quickly did you begin to pick it up or how seriously did you take it when you first started? I think I didn't take it seriously at all. And I really think this is just the most important thing ever. If you start doing something, to not take it too seriously. Right. Because then actually it's not fun anymore. And I, I don't think that I was a very good drummer at the age of four. But I liked the loud sound that the drums made. I just started because of the sound. And I don't know when I got seriously into it. Were you already singing at this age? No, not at all. At the age of four, you mean? Uh, or when you first started picking up the instruments? I started singing very early, I guess, but only like, I don't know, for fun, I would say. So as a little child, of course, you sing all the time and it's good for you as a little child. And then when you grow older, you sing the songs that you like to hear or that you like to play. And then you try it in the shower and stuff. The idea to start singing in a band or my own songs or songs that I like, I started singing when I was 17. Then I first was brave enough to do it in front of people that were not my parents. I think uh, most people nowadays know you as a guitarist and a singer. Would you say that the guitar is your main instrument or are you just as comfortable playing drums even to this day? No, I would say the guitar is my main instrument. I love playing guitar. It somehow is my job right now, and, and it became my main instrument after playing drums. I stopped playing drums because it was too loud for the neighbors, actually. <laughs> when I was 12, we moved into a different place, and then I couldn't really play drums every day anymore. So I had to pick up some other instrument to uh, still be connected to music every day. And by this time, I was listening to Gary Moore for the first time, and he really got me into playing guitar a lot. This was like the moment for me. Did you ever take any formal lessons uh, or were you self-taught on all of the instruments? Actually, I'm self-taught, yeah. I took one guitar lesson when I was pretty young 
but that uh, didn't really work for me. Did uh, your dad pass on, you know, many tips or did he point you in the right direction or did you learn the drums mostly on your own? Of course, he showed me some 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 grooves and stuff and what the hi-hat does and the bass drum and when do I have to play them and stuff and bring them together, connect them, things like this. But I think the biggest gift that my parents gave me was just that they let me try to play music and that they provided the instruments and just let me find my own interest for really wanting to try them out and want to play music. Do you remember when you first started playing music with other people? Yes, actually I do. I think by the age of 14, I had some friends in school and they played instruments as well. And then we found a little rehearsal room right beside the house where I lived at that time. And then we, we met very often, just played for fun. Did you start playing uh, playing gigs, playing shows with that band, or, or did that not happen for a while? No, not at all. I think the first shows I played, I was at the age of 17, and I formed my, my first trio yeah, with two friends. One friend uh, from school, my age, uh, an older bass player from the town where I grew up, and then we played blues, like mostly covers, Freddie King, Albert King, Albert Collins, Steve Ray Vaughan, Gary Moore, of course. So and that's when I started singing as well. At what point did you start to write your own material? I recorded the first little tape on a four-track tape machine for my parents with some covers of Gary Moore, of course, but then I think I tried to write two own songs, standard blues, by that time. One of them was She Ain't Got the Blues. That was one, <laughs> that was one of your first two songs? Wow. Thank you very much. We're still playing it. So... I have to interrupt so you can listen to this song. Remember, it's one of the first two songs he ever wrote. That's not enough for me Cause she ain't got the blues No, she ain't got the blues That's why I left her alone Cause she ain't got the blues Yeah
All right. Now back to my conversation with Henrik. So you've been writing your own material for a long time now. Is songwriting any easier now after all these years or is it still the same? Well, I think it's still the same. It always depends on what you're listening to in that time period you write your own material. I think you get inspired like almost every day by different kind of things, by different kind of music and stuff. And sometimes it's easy to have a good idea and sometimes it's not even possible to write anything or to have any idea musically. And I think it's just, I don't know, it comes from up above. You just have to sit there and wait when a good idea is coming to your place. And then you have to make the most out of it. It's my opinion. Do you typically start writing with an instrument in your hands or do musical ideas come up at, at all times, like when you're driving? Yeah, when I'm driving, for example, they're coming and I'm going to take a swim every week and then they are coming as well because uh, when you drive, you don't really have anything else to do and it's, it's very nice to think while you're driving and it's the same with swimming and then they keep coming. It's nice. I could imagine when you're driving or maybe if you're driving with someone else, you could use your phone to record an idea or a melody. But if you're swimming and something comes up, do you just make it a point to try to remember it? Or do you find that if it's good enough or memorable enough, you're, you're going to remember it? Or do you get out of the pool and immediately try to record it? If the idea comes when I start swimming, <laughs> then I have to get out of the pool and record it, <laughs> of course. But when it comes close to the end, close to the finish, like then I can still remember it, hopefully. But sometimes I forget as well but then it was not good enough that's what i always say do you um, collaborate with other songwriters much do you co-write with uh, with other people no not really when i'm producing for my own little record label cable car records then i always write the music and the people i produce they write their own lyrics that's a kind of collaboration i'm going to ask you a few questions about that because i'm, I'm very intrigued by by cable car records so i'll keep that in mind but moving on to uh, to recording, or the process of recording, I really like the sound and, and the vibe of, of your records. Do you typically rehearse extensively before you enter the studio, or do you go in with some outlines and relatively fresh and work out the details once you're in the studio? Yeah, the second one, definitely. I don't really have time to, to rehearse or to prepare, and I think if you you are too prepared before actually doing what you have to do, it's not really good for you and you're closing yourself away from the ideas that might keep coming during the process. Right. And that's why I like to be unprepared, actually. Do you actually end up finishing the songs and, or writing new songs in the studio or do you go in with good outlines and then perhaps only the arrangements change once you're in the studio? I think one year ago, I wasn't able to record demos by my on my own. So I just had the ideas on my phone and went into the studio and then recorded the album, only with the little snippets and stuff. But it's, all, it's always nice to play a guitar riff, you know, and then add the drums, a good groove, and play a cool bass line and then see what you can do with the vocals and stuff. I really like that process the most, I have to say, because that's still creativity. And when you actually have to finish the album, it feels more like work than 
uh, <laughs> when you when you're starting to create the album, so to say. Do you spend a lot of time trying out different equipment, you know, guitars, amps, microphones, preamps, compressors, or do you find something that is good enough and then focus on the performance and the song itself? I think it's the last one again. I don't uh, really know much about equipment and compressors and stuff. I like old guitars and I like uh, simple amps, tube amps, and that's mostly it cables <laughs> and then I plug in a few effects and if the fingers feel comfortable and if this if heart and soul do as well I'm quite satisfied by my count you've recorded 11 albums I think what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned about the making of an album from the time you recorded your first album to this very last album that you just finished so can you think of maybe one or two things that you do differently now that you wish you would have known back then? No, not really, because that would be unnatural somehow. I wouldn't say that I like my albums, like very much. I think that's, that's not too good if you, you are in love with your own work. It stops you from going on working, so to say. But I think what you just have to know is that it's uh, developing each and every day and from each and every album you do and just have to listen to yourself, listen to everything around you and make the best out of it. The biggest lesson is to love what you do in any kind of job or creative work. I believe that in two of your albums, you played every instrument. Yeah. What made you decide to do this on those two albums? Actually, the little tape I recorded for my parents when I was 40 because it was so much fun. And so, and so when I founded my own record label back in 2009, I just wanted to do it again, but a little more professional in a real <laughs> studio with that sound guy who became one of my best friends, Martin Meinschäfer. And it was pretty much fun to try it and to actually do it and then to release it as well. Was it awkward to tell your longtime bandmates that they weren't going to be participating in the album and because you would be playing everything? I think actually by that time, I didn't really have a long-term bandmate, and so I couldn't really disappoint anyone. <laughs> and, and that made me uh, decide to do it. That was all naturally and cool for everyone Got it. by that time. You're constantly on tour, on the road. Over time, have you found routines or practices to help you cope with the grind of being on the road so much? Yeah, actually, for me, it's the other way around. When I sit at home and I have to work a lot to prepare the tour and to, to get the things together and to get the gigs and to do the album, record the album, finish the album, uh, listen to the mixes, all that kind of stuff that, that's keeping me busy before going on tour, it's much more work for me than the tour itself. The tour itself feels more like vacation because then you actually go out to the people and they, uh, they give the energy to you and you can give your energy to them. And then it's kind of a, a day job, but a beautiful one because you're seeing different cities, you're with your band who you love and you see your fans that are happy to see you. It actually feels more like vacation being on the road. So you have to cope with being off the road. 
yeah, grocery shopping, taking care of my fridge and stuff, it's much harder for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned the exchange of energy with your audience. Yeah. After so many years of playing and being as experienced as you are, does the number of people in the audience affect you much when you perform or their energy level? Yeah, actually, I was thinking about that as well. When there are many people in the audience, 800 or 900 people, then I play different compared to gigs where there are 30 people in the audience. When we don't play in Germany, for example, and we play small clubs in England, because then somehow it's not a show so much than it is only music when there are less people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so how do you think your playing is different in each of those scenarios? I don't know. I think I close my eyes more often when there are not so many people. Because then I feel, I don't know, I feel free and I feel intimate, I think. I like small clubs very much, I have to say. The more people, the harder to get the vibe and to feel the vibe and to control the vibe and to give the vibe back. The reason I ask is that I've had the privilege of speaking with many great musicians and I've had a number of guests talk about early experiences working with older musicians where they perhaps were the, the sideman, the guitarist in the band, and they got to observe yeah. role models who would always give it 100% and always perform as if they were performing in front of 10,000 people, even if there were four yeah. people in a bar. I admire that, that even if there are seven people sitting at three tables, that one is able to go up there and truly perform. And I, I find that admirable. Are, are, do you think you're able to do that? I don't know. It depends on how I feel, actually. I can only give the best I have to give each and every day. Sometimes you feel good, sometimes you feel bad. But I'm trying to stay on the positive side each and every day and give the people the best I can give them. Do you find that your state of mind affects the way that you perform? Yes, I think so too. If you're sentimental or a little bit sad, or if you're in a very good mood, it affects your playing, I think. Because it's all about the feeling, especially when it comes to blues. You can't really hide your feelings when you play blues. Let's uh, talk about your label. I believe that you recorded your first few records through Peppercake. And in 2009, you formed your own label, Cable Car Records. That's true. You're very well informed, mister. Tell me about Cable Car Records and why you started it. I actually started it because I wanted to be a little more independent and free. I wanted to keep my music free and music of other people as well. And to just put a little bit more love into the details, into the packaging, to the quality of the product, to releasing vinyl and tapes and to being more old school and independent and a little smaller as well on the business side, you know? If you are a big label and a big company, you always like have to have to take a look like on the money side as well and the business side. And that's something I don't really like so much to put before the music. For me, the music always comes first and then you somehow have to try to get it out there and to, to get it to the people but the quality of the music should be there first and the quality of the product as well. And the people should have the feeling that they, that they buy something that is worthy. You know what I mean? Did you feel prepared 
at the time to to handle the business side of things, uh, given the experience you had had up until that point, or was it a a steep learning curve? Was it was it difficult to actually get the business side of things getting going? It was a little difficult to to understand how it all works and how it all comes together on the business side. But as I didn't really have to take part in any kind of competition because I just wanted to play my own music and that's it. It wasn't too hard for me, no. It was very nice actually because I have lovely friends and, and partners who are doing a very good job to help me with the label. Timo Wilke, Florence Miller, my mom, Katharina Pohl, like a lot of people who just who are just dedicated and put their heart and soul into it as well and make me feel good and safe and sound and full of hope. <laughs> That's wonderful. I know that you have many great artists on, on your label, uh, Leila Zoe, Tommy Schneller, Linda Suti. I understand that you produce their albums, and earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that you also write the music for them. I watched the trailer for Linda's record, Wild Skies, and it looks like you yeah. also played drums, guitar, bass. You wrote the songs. It sounds like you're like you're very involved in uh, in their projects. How do you balance your own projects with taking such good care of your artists? I don't know. I I try to um, see my artists, so to say, um, as my own project as well. I don't really uh, make a difference that it's mine or them or, or my record or their record. I think it's my own project. When I'm producing, I have to, de I have to be dedicated as well, and I have to uh, put the same heart and soul into the album, like when it comes to my stuff. And I really like doing this. For me, it's learning each and every day different kind of styles, writing different music. They really lucked out. It sounds like you're a great partner. Can you tell me a little about how you met Linda Suti? Yes, of course. We were happy to play at a festival in Italy for the first time, actually. And she played there as well with her band, Acoustic Trio. She played guitar. She had another guitar player and a bass player. And they were all standing in front of the stage when we played and gave us a very good vibe, one-of-a-kind vibe that made our gig very special for us and setting ourselves free, so to say. And then after the gig, we went to a little to a little bar, and outside there were still um, acoustic bands playing. And then we actually stayed in the same hotel, and when we had to leave, we exchanged CDs. And then I gave her my album, and she gave me a five-track demo EP that she recorded in Italy, and I took it with me and left it there, I don't know, for, for one month or something. And then there was a very nice sunny day, and I woke up, and I was very happy. And I made my first coffee, and then I found the CD back. I put it in the record player, and I fell in love. I just wrote her an email, or I think I called her, and told her that I really love her voice, and I think she writes beautiful songs. And if she would be interested in having me producing an album for her and for Cable Car Records, because, yeah, I was really touched. What can I say? Her singing, her playing her songs. We just had to do it. I just purchased Wild Skies and I listened to it yesterday and, uh, and I can definitely understand why you felt that way. Thank you. It's nice to hear. 
I understand that you're about to start working with uh, a new artist named Joanne Kastner. How did you meet her? Yeah, when we were on tour in England, actually, my old drummer Bjorn Krüger, who was doing some kind of projects for young people at that time in the, t uh, in the town I grew up, he played uh, me a CD in the tour bus of that project named Poetry Orchestra. And that's when I heard Joanne's voice for the first time, but I only heard two lines and it was the same. I just fell in love with her voice and it touched me and the idea came up to do an album. And by that time we met on tour in Scotland because she's originally from Scotland. And we had a little talk and made a plan. And then I had to let her wait for quite a long time, uh, but it was always on my mind. But I was too busy at that time to do it on the side. But then last year really happened. And I'm very happy about that. And now we're at the finishing line, just uh, in the mix, just recorded the keyboards and stuff. And I think it's going to be released in summer this year. And I can't wait. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, me too. Taking a, a step back, I'm in Austin, Texas. I haven't had the, the fortune of, of watching you perform live, but I found out about you on YouTube, and I, I don't recall exactly how it happened, but I came across a number of pretty high-quality recordings of you playing live. I saw a lot of quality video production that I think helped me really appreciate your music and, of course, eventually purchase your music and listen to it. Was that a, a conscious decision? Was it by design that you figured that producing high-quality video content was a worthwhile investment because you expected for many people outside of your local market to discover you that way? Yes, of course. That was the idea. But it happened naturally as well because, of course, I also like to see high-quality videos and stuff on YouTube. I have the pleasure to have a very good friend called Timo Wilke, and he has a very good eye and he's taking all my pictures and doing the design, the artwork for the albums. And he also did DVD and the high quality videos. And it's good to have him by my side because he actually makes it work for me on the social media channel. And hearing you describe that, it seems like such a natural answer that yes, of course you made that investment because you knew that it would be important. But I just see so many other acts and other artists that don't do that. And I don't know if it's because they don't happen to know someone or have the, the budget or the, or the connections to someone who could help them do that. But it often surprises me that other musicians don't do that same thing. Because there's been artists yeah. in the past that I've tried to learn more about or find or try to share. And I've tried to find like a high quality, really nice video that captures, you know, a, a quality performance to share it with other people. And I've struggled oftentimes. So that's one really great thing about you that it's that you have a wealth of those out there. But it seems like many musicians just don't do it. Yeah, I don't know why. They will have their reasons, I guess. I don't know. Let's um, talk about your new trio. You had a stable band lineup for many, many years and recently started working with a new band. What prompted you to make this change and, and try this new direction? In the first place, I was a little bit tired, I have to say of always being on the road and of always producing an, one album after the other 
and also producing other artists. It was just a lot of work. And the time within those processes was too short to, to come down again and take a proper listen to yourself and what you, what you're up to or what you like to do next. And that's just what I wanted to give myself a little break to see in what mood, what kind of mood I am now and what kind of music I would like to play. I just wanted to focus on the music again and to not overplay it and to not let it become a business because it's actually still a gift that you are able to play music and to make a living out of it. So was the decision to work with, with new bandmates something that you made first because you felt that would enable you to slow down? Or did you slow down, rethink your direction, and once you established that new direction, then you decided that you should be working with new musicians? Yeah, that's it. In the first place, I just wanted to take a break and ask myself some questions and wait for answers. And then when I felt the answers coming, I decided to found a new band and to go out there again, but do it slightly different. How would you describe that difference in terms of the music itself, the, the record that's coming out, uh, performing with the new band? How is it different from your prior band? All in all, it's just a musical development. Maybe a bit because I started out playing live in a trio, and I like the space that every instrument has in the trio, and also the power, and I like the old trios like the Jimi Hendrix Experience, and Steve Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, all those people I love, and they played as a trio, and for me it's so impressive that three people, if they play good together, can do this, and can make it sound like that powerful, if they really enjoy what they're doing, and if they really play together as a unit. And uh, that's what interested me the most. And that's what made me come up with the idea to play in a trio again. And also, uh, it was just the first little jam. And when we were jamming, it was pretty clear that we have to do it. Because it was just so much fun and joy. And I don't know. It's, it's the same when you listen to Linda's demo or Joanne's two lines in the bus. It's the same feeling right. that you get. And this is what, I don't know, I'm always waiting for this kind of feeling that there are no questions anymore that I have to just do something. Because that always feels, feels right. It sounds like, like you have these moments of clarity where you, you hear something and you know the answer. And like you mentioned, hearing yeah. Linda was one moment. Uh, Joanne was another, and, and jamming with your new bandmates was the third. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. It's just like love at the first sight, I would say. You can really compare it to this. Just you, you, can't, you can't help but do it. Do you find that your playing has changed much now that you're in a trio, and, and in a sense you might feel like you need to fill more space? No, it depends a little. I think what I really want to try, I use the word try because I don't know if I'm going to do it, uh, is to play less, actually. To play the right note at the right time and to, to somehow, I don't know, listen more closely to the old masters like Albert King 
and Freddie King and the old blues guys who were able to do this and who were able to touch you with that right note at the same time. Right. And for me, this is really something that I would like to learn for my own playing because it's the much uh, the most impressive thing, I think, to play less but in the right spot. And it seems like that's the uh, that's a a form of creative evolution that that I'm, I'm noticing a pattern, especially in in the context of blues music, blues rock music, that oftentimes the way you evolve or grow is precisely by being able to say more with less. And a quote that uh, I don't know if if you're familiar with Matt Schofield. He's a fantastic uh, guitarist yeah, from from I am. the UK. Yeah, I like him very much. He was the first one to bring up this this concept of evolution through refinement, by refining the way you you play and by saying more with less. Da Vinci had a quote in which he he said something to the effect of simplicity is the ultimate form of sophistication. Yeah, and that's what Matt Schofield was striving towards to really you know just elevate his music and make it more sophisticated by seeking to make yeah. it to make it simpler. Yeah, and he's very good at it. In my opinion, I like him a lot. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah, that's it. I uh, I've watched over the years many many videos of you playing live, and you had some fantastic exchanges with your with your keys player. I believe his name was Mo. And, yeah. Uh, and and he was he was great. I mean, he is great, and you had some fantastic exchanges. Do you ever feel a little naked in the trio, not having the the presence of those keys? Yeah, I don't really. Have any idea by now because we only played four shows as a support for the Tedeschi Trucks band last year. But actually, the first real show is still about to come on April the second. So we didn't really play live at all. So we we just have to try it out. But I think in every kind of situ situation, I would feel naked. One of the guys will warm me <laughs> with their skills. <laughs> I uh, haven't been to Europe in almost 10 years, so and I don't know if or when I'm, I'm heading back, but I'm still holding out hope that someday I'll be able to, to watch you perform live. Of course, that would be nice. Yeah, we would also love to play in the U.S., of course, but it's... I understand it's, 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 long, uh, it's challenging. It's a long flight. <laughs> it's challenging, not only the logistics of, you know, the expense and the flight and the equipment, but... The uh, immigration side of things, just securing a visa and and trying to take care of all of that paperwork. When yeah. I first started looking into it, I was disappointed to learn how how difficult it was. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's also a point, but it's also a problem that here in Germany, I'm I'm on the road with many people and with a big crew, and we are three people in the band, and we have four crew members, and then when you are playing abroad. And it gets more and more expensive to even get the band there. People keep asking if I can play with other musicians. And of course, I could do that, but I really don't want it because my band is my family and so is the crew. If you hang out with those people each and every day here in Germany and you get used to each other, I don't know. It's too sad to leave them at home when you go somewhere. And of course, then it's getting more and more expensive. And the money is just not there to cover the costs, not at my end and not at the end of any kind of promoter who's trying to setting up a gig 
with the German guy, which who nobody knows. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, yeah. that's not true. But I, I hope, I hope I'm able to help in the very at least in some way, and that someone listens to this podcast and and listens to your music and looks into it and somehow gets you a step closer to coming over here because that that would be fantastic. I just wanted to say you are on a very good way. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Henrik, I I know you are you are incredibly busy and you have um stuff to do tonight and another engagement. I won't take up any more of your time. I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with me. All right, man. Thank you very much. Totally my pleasure. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you so much. Uh drive safely and uh hopefully we'll we'll speak again someday. Let's do it. All right. Bye-bye, Henrik. Thank bye, you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Until next time.